Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, right after Psalms and Proverbs, and uh, right before you get into the Song of Solomon and then Isaiah. So there's Ecclesiastes. Warren Wiersbe wrote a book called Be Satisfied, and he has some good thoughts. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm bringing you a Warren Wiersbe message, but I do like some of the thoughts which he outlined in his book. Um, and what it is is that he kind of summarizes the whole book, and he says, Be Satisfied. One of the things about Ecclesiastes, I've always loved Ecclesiastes. I've always loved the Proverbs. Uh, I've always loved the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. That's who wrote Ecclesiastes. But Ecclesiastes is one of those books that can either be very depressing or very joyful. It depends on if you know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, Ecclesiastes will establish in every way how your life is futile if you do not know God. If you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior, this is going to be a very depressing message this morning. But if you do know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is going to be a triumphant message this morning. There's so many practical applications. You know what God did was what he blessed somebody, he blessed a man whose name was Solomon, and he blessed him with all the wisdom that any man ever had or will ever have. He blessed him with all the riches that any man ever had or ever will have. And then Solomon used the wisdom which God had given him, the wisest man who ever lived on the earth, and he conducted an experiment. He conducted an experiment. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 3. And really, verses 1 through 3 establishes the rest of Ecclesiastes. Verse 1 says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? So he conducts this experiment with all the wisdom that God had given him. No matter how wise you think you are, you're not as wise as this man, Solomon. And what he does is he sets out this experiment to look and he sees all of life's complexity and difficulties in our lives. And then there's this pessimistic view of life. When you look at your life through a worldview, there's so much pessimism. And he brings out all the things that you have to be pessimistic about. But he also brings out, that's not the only view that we are to have of this life. If you are one of the Lord's, we are to have what's called a Christ view. And this Christ view of the world and our circumstances, there is joy in a Christ view because there's a realism. It's not just blind optimism and it's not blind pessimism, but there's a realism of what Jesus has done and what this life truly does mean. Now, Job chapter 14 says this, Man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Well, that's a very bleak 
outlook on life, isn't it? Job said, a man that is born of a woman is few in days, and their life is full of troubles. The pessimist, I like the couple of quotes here, a pessimist will see difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist will see opportunity in every difficulty. Now, what's the difference between an optimist and a pessimist? An optimist is the person who created the plane. A pessimist is a person who created the parachute. Right? So you, you need both in your life. And there's a, there's a bit of a, of a realism there to it. Solomon gives us a view of both in Ecclesiastes. He gives us the worldview. And this worldview, if all of the world is just your view, you're going to have a pessimistic outlook of life. But if you have a Christ view, you're going to have an optimistic outlook of life. And he goes about using the scientific method. I don't know how many students we have here who are in science class, and you all know about the scientific method. All right? What is the scientific method? Scientific method is, is you make a hypothesis, then you conduct a, an experiment. The hypothesis is an educated guess, right? You're guessing that this is going to happen, then you conduct a, an experiment, then you gather the data, and then you make a conclusion. And that's what uh, Solomon does all through Ecclesiastes, except he's doing it with life. And so he goes about, and there's a cycle in here. Uh, the cycle over and over, uh, Solomon is going to bring out the futility of life, the pessimism of life. Here, you know, uh, the man's days are, I mean, what profit in verse 3 is he saying? What is there? There's, there's all vanities. You know, I, you know, these things weren't coming to mind. Uh, um, uh, we know that the word of God is inspired and God had breathed and this is what God will have us to learn and to know about Solomon's experiment here with all the wisdom God gave him. But it seems like this, the first three verses are, he's like, he's already figured this out, and now he's exasperated, and now he's writing. Um, you ever done that before? You've, you've worked all day on a problem, you've worked all day on a problem, and then you have a eureka moment, and then you go to somebody who had no idea you were working on that problem, and you go, honey, the secret is, is turn off the breaker before you, you do the screwdriver, you know? And so you had this eureka moment, and this is, this is Solomon's eureka moment. What's his eureka moment? Verse 2, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profit is there? So he reaches, life is filled with difficulties and perplexities. This is a pessimistic observation. And when you look through here, like I said, it can be depressing because he says, what is life? Life is like a wheel. We are chucked into this wheel and there's a repetition. There is no new thing under the sun. So you've been chucked into this moving wheel. And then one of these days you're going to be chucked back out and no one's going to remember you were in there. And everything is happening. It's all repetition. All there's no new thing under the sun. That's what Solomon has figured out, is your children are there to replace you, and the same struggles you, are, you have, they're going to have. The, the, the same things in life that you have, they're going to have. And then there's no remembrance of those things. But he doesn't leave us there. Those who know the Lord, we may be full of 
trouble. Our days may be full of trouble. But, he says, the life which God has given to you right now, God has given to you to enjoy and to be thankful. To use this life God has given you for his glory. Look at chapter 2, verse 24. He says this, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now, I thought about maybe starting just a small series of Ecclesiastes. Today is more of an introduction to the book. I don't know if I'm going to do it uh, systematically. I may pick it back up here and there. But again, I've always loved the, the book of Ecclesiastes. And really, when it comes to it, when you've read the whole book, Solomon concludes this, that trouble that we have in our life is almost needful for us. To understand relief, we must experience grief. To understand joy, we must understand sadness. To understand wisdom, we must experience folly. And that is what is in our life under the sun. So to understand those things, but how comforting that we see Jesus say this, you know, life is not trivial, and life is not mundane. But he says in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And Peter, Peter says, he that will love life, he that will love life and see good days, let his tongue refrain from evil. Because the Lord is over the righteous, but his face is against those who do evil. So the Lord does intend us to enjoy this life and to live it to his glory. Paul said our labor is not in vain. It's in the Lord. Now, the conclusion is life is not in vain. The conclusion of Solomon of all this is life is not in vain if it is lived according to the will of God. Otherwise it is. When it is lived with a Christ view, your life that God has given you, he has given it to you abundantly. Now, the author in verse 1, immediately he introduces himself. Solomon says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Look at verse 14. Um, sorry, no, verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, those of you who do not know Solomon, Solomon was the son of King David, and he became the king of Jerusalem. In 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, it's a beautiful story how the Lord had come to Solomon, and, Sol and the Lord asked Solomon, what do you want? What's the desires of your heart? And Solomon, in all humility, said, Lord, the, I, I am the king over such a vast amount of people. He prayed for wisdom in order to rule God's people. Um, more leaders need to have that heart. It's not about my glory. It's about give me the wisdom to rule your people, Lord. 
to lead your people, Lord. And that's Solomon's prayer. And God was pleased with Solomon's prayer and his wish. So what did God do? He says, besides giving you wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you fame. I mean, so much so that the world has never seen or will see. He gave it in abundance to Solomon. But what happened to Solomon? In 1 Kings, he ended up getting 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And what happened was the wives which he got turned away his heart from the Lord. We had spoken in Sunday school about how God's blessings are meant for his glory, not your consumption. That's a very interesting thing to think about. What has God blessed you in your life? How has God blessed you in your life? Now think about tithe. And now I said this earlier. Tithe is not meant to give God money. Tithe is meant for you to be in the mindset of what God has given you, you give back. Now, what has God given you in your life that you've not given back? So many times we have the temptation of whatever God blesses me with is just meant for me and my consumption, and that's it. i got to gobble it up. And you never think about, is this bringing honor to God? Is this bringing glory to God? God is blessed, and I'll tell you, once you start thinking in those categories, he'll convict you, won't he? You'll, you'll, see, you'll see things in your life. Lord, I've not returned that back for your glory and your honor. You gave me this incredible gift, and I consumed it on my own lust. And what happens when you are just a, a, a consuming machine? You're never one who does things to the honor of God, the glory of God, for the benefit of others. It's just about you. You're consuming, consuming, consuming. What happens is pretty soon you're going to be envious of what others have that you don't have. Then you become discontent. Then you become unthankful. What was the ultimate purpose of man? To glorify God and be thankful. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. What happened to Solomon? Solomon asked for wisdom. God gave him the greatest blessing of wisdom. He gave him riches. But what we see that Solomon, through life, he consumed it on his own self. The end of Solomon, now we know that Solomon wrote three books, and a lot of people think that Proverbs was written in the time of life when Solomon walked with God and the Song of Solomon. But the Ecclesiastes reads like a memoir. Like him looking back on his life and he is saying, these are the lessons which I've learned. We believe that Ecclesiastes was written more towards the end of his life. As he's looking back, he sees his faults. He sees what the temptations of this life were. How he, the, the way that God had blessed him, he turned it inward to make it just about him and not about returning the blessing to the glory of God. So we see that after Solomon died, actually the kingdom was divided. The kingdom was divided and the house of David was split. There's 12 tribes of Israel. The house of David just had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. 
But we see here, so he makes this declaration in chapter 1. Listen. The words of the preacher. Now that word preacher in, in the Hebrew is koheleth. And the reason I say that is because in the Greek, the word preacher is ecclesiastes. Now some of you didn't know you were going to learn Greek today, did you? you and some of you can say, well, I don't know any Greek. Well, you do now. Ecclesiastes means preacher. Inside of that word, ecclesiastes, is ecclesia. The, the Ecclesiastes, or the preacher, is one who summons and speaks to a group, a crowd. So that is the word preacher in the Hebrew, and I, the reason I brought up the Hebrew word, koheleth, is because underneath that is a connotation of a debate. But Solomon is not debating with the listeners or the readers. Solomon is debating with himself, his own heart. Uh, in verse 16, he says, I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So we see that Solomon is debating with himself. God has given me all of these blessings. First, we, we see him all throughout Ecclesiastes. He'll introduce a topic. He'll discuss it from many different viewpoints. And then he'll come up with a practical conclusion and solution. Now, the aim, the, the um, goal of Ecclesiastes is to establish Solomon's observations. You can trust in his observations. If I were to say there was one man that God gave wisdom above all any other man who's ever been born except Jesus, would you trust his observations about this life? I would. If somebody comes up to me or comes up to you and says, do you have any good literature on people like a philosophy, like uh, what is the meaning of life? You say, yes, there's great literature, the best literature there is, and show them Ecclesiastes. Because this is the greatest, the wisest literature you're going to find on him with the meaning of life. First of all, uh, we see in verse 2, vanity of vanities. Vanity, the word is used 38 times in this book. And what it means is emptiness, futility of vapor. It means that which disappears quickly and leaves nothing behind. It's like a bubble. When you go pop a bubble... There's nothing left. It was there. That's what James said. Our life is like a vapor. It appeared for a little time and then vanished away. Vanity is that. It's a vapor. It disappears quickly and leaves no trace. It leaves nothing that was there. So Solomon is considering his wealth, his works, his wisdom, of this world, and he comes to this sad conclusion in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That seems bleak. All disappears quickly and leaves no trace. This is what he has observed. But we know that this is not going to be his final conclusion because he's going to tell us when we put on the lens of a Christ view of life, how we are more in victors, we are more than conquerors in life. Now notice in verse 3, 
What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Now, under the sun is a very important phrase. Under the sun happens 29 times in Ecclesiastes. And under the sun is a phrase that is used for someone who has a life from a human perspective only. Um, I like this quote that G. Campbell Morgan said, This man had been living through all these experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun, until there came a moment in which he had seen the whole life, and there was something over the sun. It is only as man takes account of that which is over the sun, as well as that which is under the sun, that things under the sun are seen in their true light. The whole context of philosophy is trying to find answers about nature using our nature. It is only looking for answers that are under the sun, never considering what's above the sun. And so it's a very important phrase which Solomon is saying. Just considering what's under the sun, not above it, what has he found? That life is empty. It's like a vapor. So, he also uses vexation of spirit. Verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Vexation of spirit means chasing the wind. It's the carrot on the stick and never reaching the carrot. You're always striving to be satisfied and you're never filled. That's vexation of spirit. It's an exasperation. You cannot be full. So that's what he says. All life underneath the sun are these things. Not only is it, is it empty and doesn't leave a mark, but you're never going to be full <laughs> looking for what you're looking for under the sun. Now, profit. Now, in verse 2, he says, or verse 3, what profit? Now, this word profit means gain. Now, there's many words uh, used for profit, but Profit means that which is left over. What's the surplus? What's the advantage? It is the opposite of the word vanity. So when you look at it in that way, uh, the word profit, you can rephrase in verse 2, no profit of no profit, saith the preacher, no profit, no profit, all has no profit. There's nothing gained. There's no advantage of this life. So, I believe Solomon is exasperated here where he says, what is the advantage of living? More or less, what's, what's, is this life worth living? Now look at labor in verse 3. It's used 23 times. There are 11 different Hebrew words. And it means to toil in the, to the point of exhaustion and experience. No fulfillment in your work. There's grief, misery, frustration, and weariness. Moses uses a particular uh, Hebrew word when he says that God had looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. If you were to only see your labor, if you were only to see work, your life, as under the sun, without any view as to what's above the sun, then there would be no profit. That's what he's saying. Under the sun, 
No profit. There's nothing advantage, nothing gained. But we know with a view towards Christ, there is profit. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, but what, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's the profit. Your labor in the Lord. That's where the, the difference is. When you have your eyes set on things that are above the sun, not just living a life underneath it, and shutting out those things which are of God. Now, key words that are all throughout this uh, uh, all throughout Ecclesiastes are evil. Uh, this is one of Solomon's favorite words. Everything under the sun he categorizes as evil, whether it's hurt, uh, mischievous, grievous, uh, grievous, adversity, wickedness, misery. He also uses the joy. Joy is what we all desire of life. And Solomon uh, says that, you know, he's not coming from either a pessimistic or cynical, but rather a realistic about what the life which God has given us and the gifts that are in your life that God has given you and to enjoy them. Enjoy the gifts God has given you. Thank the Lord and give God the glory. Uh, God has given to us richly all things to enjoy in 1 Timothy. The dominant theme is to trust God, enjoy what he has given, what he is giving, and what he will give you. The product will be joy. You're not, you know, it's not fleeting happiness and escapism in this life. Things that do not fulfill you. The product is joy when you're thankful and you trust the Lord. Now, wisdom is also used, is used 32 times, to, and it always references folly with wisdom. Uh, with these, this wisdom which God gave Solomon, he sought it to look at things which were under the sun. The things of the natural life. He used it as a philosophy experiment, as I said. And so that is the wisdom, and then he found folly. He says wisdom is better than folly, but wisdom uh, will bring you to uh, sorrow, actually. Then he uses God. And what's interesting about when he uses the word God, look at verse 13. He says, And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Look at chapter 2, verse 26. He uses the word God there. And see if you see a, a commonality with the, the use of the word God. Verse 26 of chapter 2, For for God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. And he goes on and on about how God gives, God gives. But you know, he never uses the Hebrew word Jehovah. He uses the word Elohim. And the word Elohim is creator God. It is the mighty God, it is the God of creation, and it is the word God which expresses God's sovereignty over all his works of his hand. So when 
Solomon uses the word God. He's using it as God is sovereign. He's on his throne in this life which we live underneath the sun. It is God. So, what is the application? Now, there's a lot of application. Again, this is just going to be the introduction to Ecclesiastes. I love the, the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't have time to go over the outline. Maybe I'll give you... Uh, uh, just real brief, chapters 1 through 2, the problem is given. Chapters 3 through 10, the problem is discussed. And then chapters 11 through 12, the problem is solved. The, the solve, him solving the problem is finally live by faith in God. Enjoy the life God has given you now. And three, prepare yourself for the judgment. Live by faith. Enjoy what God has given you. Prepare for judgment. Those are the three things which he summarizes. Now, if you look at the book of Ecclesiastes and the time which Solomon had written this, is it applicable to us today? It is very applicable. It is very rich. Because the same things that were going on in the world of Solomon are happening in our world today too. In chapters 4, he talks about the injustice that's to the poor. In chapter 5, the crooked politics. Chapter 10, incompetent leaders. Chapter 8, guilty people are set free so they can commit more crimes. Chapter 5 is all about materialism. Chapter 7 is a desire for the good old days. Did you know that every generation, there's a, the generation has a desire for the good old days and the way it was? Now, does this sound up to date to you? It sounds up to date to me. And so, the book of Ecclesiastes is up to date. It is very applicable for us. But first, really what you really need to come away with is this. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this book will urge you to do it now and without delay. Yeah. Why? Why does it do that? Because you are going to see the misery of life without him. Solomon paints the picture. The things you've not figured out, Solomon already did, and he wrote them down. God has written them down for us. The thing that you think you're missing out on in life, the thing you're chasing for in life, it's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to meet your fulfillment. You're going to find it's chasing the wind. You're going to find that the things of this life are empty and they're meaningless. But... When you trust the Lord as your personal Savior, we have light. He has brought light to all of the things of earth. There's no prophet. You're only living it under the sun. You're never considering what's above it. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8. He says, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's a life worth living. You know, Solomon had everything, yet his life was empty. Solomon was a saved man. Well, you can be saved and be miserable in sin. Your sin has consequence in your life. You know, you can be saved and be miserable. Or you can be saved and be joyful. It depends on what you're looking at. Who are you looking at? What's your perspective? Is it just the worldview? Is it just the materialism? Is it just the things of this life? Or is it just, are you falling in love with the blessing more than the one who has blessed you? 
Are you feeling like everything that God has given you is just for your consumption? And that you are selfish towards it and greedy and you want more and more? And you're taking God for, uh, for advantage. You're not understanding you're supposed to return those things to God. A life that is lived as a believer in Christ is not a monotonous life. It's not a life where you're just thrown into the wheel and chucked out. That you do have an impression. You, that you do live a life that is victorious because Jesus has led a life as a conquering over life and he has conquered death. Uh, riches. Uh, Solomon talks about how riches flee and how even Peter and Isaiah said that as the grass withers and the flower fades away, that's what man does. We're going to wither, we're going to fade away, but he says, but the, the word of the Lord endureth forever. And we are rich. You know, one of the kids, a long time ago, I don't know who it was, they said, Dad, are we rich? And I was like, yes, we're very rich. We may not be wealthy, but we're rich. Now, how do I know I'm rich? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet he became poor, that through his poverty ye may be rich. Bible tells me I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich with eternal life. I'm rich with understanding in this life. That we are looking above the sun. We're not living this life only beneath the sun, under the sun. Because there is no prophet just under the sun. Solomon's already told us that. We don't have to experiment anymore. I trust Solomon. He's qualified to conduct this experiment. God has given us a life worth living. And then you know, as children of God, we have much to praise Him for. You know, in the thing that we also see looming in the corner was death. You know, how could I enjoy all the things of my life when I know at the end of the hallway, i got to go by death? Solomon talks about the certainty of death. How can you really enjoy doing your, your life when you know it's got to end? But we know that Jesus has conquered death. We know as children of God, you know, and what I love, um, you don't have to turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, many of you all know this verse. He says, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then what does he encourage us to do in the next two verses? I'm going to tell you. To taunt death as a fallen enemy that Christ has destroyed. Because what does he say? He says, oh death, where is thy sting? Oh grave, where is thy victory? You can taunt it. It is a defeated enemy. You can walk up to it and kick it. You don't have to be afraid of it looming in the corner at the end of the hall. You know that you're not leaving this, this world through an exit without it. You have to go through death. But God says you can taunt it if you're a believer in Christ because Jesus has whooped it. <laughs> He's whooped it good. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Where is it? I can't hear you. We're more than conquerors. He says, but thanks be the God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You all heard that song? He's the undisputed, undefeated champion. 
of the world. Turn to him in faith today. Look at Ecclesiastes as a warning to you that you think this life is full of, you got this pleasure and this pleasure, but all, all you're doing is going to one distraction to the next to get your mind off of death. That's all you're doing. And as you live this life just under the sun, Solomon said, vanity of vanities, it's all vanities. For what profit? Where is there any advantage? Is life even worth living? Of all your life, just under the sun, if you do not have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there is none. There is no profit. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above. Above what? Above the sun, not under the sun, right? Set your affections on things above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And when Christ appears, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. With a Christ view of life, you'll start seeing things in your life with him as the true light. He's a light that lighteth every man. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Lord has spoken to your heart at all this morning. Just what a, a marvelous practical book. The Lord had given Solomon wisdom. And we know that Solomon's heart was turned away, but the, the Lord had moved Solomon to write to Ecclesiastes for those to put us into perspective of what this life is. Is this life that God has given you? If you're a child of God, He has given it to you like we saw in Sunday school. None of us live to ourselves. None of us die to ourselves. We live, we die unto the Lord. We are the Lord's. Whether we live or die, we do it unto the Lord. And the Word of God says, and when He shall appear, He is our life. He's our life and our light. And that the view which we have of this life needs to be the Christ view, not the pessimistic world view. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, we do pray Your power upon it and that you apply it in the lives. Father, Lord, may we be faithful to bring you glory and honor in our lives. Not that we have the praise of men, but that men praise you through the things that we do in our life, through the things which we say. Father, may we present you all glorious, all gracious, as of the Lord who gives mercy upon those who call upon him and upon his name. Father, we do pray for those, if any are lost this morning, that they look to you and call upon you. And Lord, that you save them this day. We'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. However the Lord has spoken to your heart, whether